Greetings, friends. It is the weekend of Sunday, April the 10th, and this Sunday is Palm Sunday. It's also Passion Sunday. We continue in our Lenten series, a desert, a mountain, a well, a pool, a tomb, and today, a place of execution. These are the settings for these six gospel stories on this itinerary, this travel, this Lenten journey that we are on. Matthew 27, 14 reads, But he gave him no answer, not even, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Jesus stood alone, abandoned by his friends, confronting the most powerful authority in the known world and without rights or hope. And as Matthew tells the story from his arrest through his execution, Jesus remained silent for the most part in the face of his accusers. It's hard for us in, in, in 2022 to understand just how enormous a problem it was for early Christians that the person they regarded as the Son of God, risen from the dead, had been executed by the Roman Empire. You see, crucifixion was, as one scholar calls it, execution by torture. It was used against those Rome regarded as its worst offenders, especially revolutionaries. Crucifixion was a, a very public display. The, the upright posts were permanent fixtures on the roads coming into important towns and cities. The condemned would often carry their crossbeams themselves as the Gospels say that Jesus did. And the deaths were prolonged as well as excruciating. It could take days to die. The corpses would be left hanging as witness to the fate of those who would oppose Rome. And for Jesus to have been crucified was to mark him and his followers as enemies of the state, enemies of Rome. And so it's hard for us in 2022 America to comprehend um, the, the disgust with which those condemned to crucifixion were regarded by the good people of the Roman Empire, the fine upstanding citizens of Jerusalem or Rome or any other prosperous Roman city. The, the best comparison for us might be to understand crucifixion for the Roman Empire and culture as we regard someone branded as and, and prosecuted as a terrorist an enemy of the state, an enemy of everything that we hold dear, all of our cultural values. That's how Rome regarded Jesus. And that's why he was executed, because he was fomenting rebellion against the state, because he was advocating an alternative to the Roman Empire, to Roman cultural values. Of course, Jesus wasn't just a rabble rouser, nor was he a terrorist, although it is likely that the two men who were executed with him were something of that sort. As bandits, they were involved in some sort of armed resistance against Roman authority. And what brought Rome's attention to Jesus and what finally resulted in his execution was his proclamation of the coming reign of God, a realm in which values were diametrically opposed to Rome, where they were proclaimed, where they were experienced, and they were shared. We heard those values announced and, and, and explicated in the Sermon on the Mount that the vision laid out by Jesus there and throughout his public ministry is, is a vision of a transformed world, of transformed relationships where the poor, where outcasts, where outsiders are welcome, 
where enemies as well as neighbors are loved, where violence and oppression move out of the way for peace. It's a vision of self-giving love for individuals and for people of God. And most of all, it's a vision of a world in which the values held dear by the wider culture, by celebrity, success, wealth, and power give way to a different set of values where the first will be last and the last will be first. We see something of that vision expressed by Paul in, in, in what we read earlier uh, in Philippians. It is, the, it is the Christ hymn that sings of Jesus emptying himself to become human, humbly and obediently living in such a way to show us God's love incarnate in the flesh, living in such a way that he, he aroused the hatred in the enmity of Rome, and died on a cross. Now, we may want to focus on the cross today and in the days to come, but the important point to remember is that death is not the end of the story, either for us or for Jesus. As Paul argues here, Christ's obedience, his humility, his incarnating of God's love that ended in the cross was vindicated. The the gory, painful death transformed into life a victory over the forces of evil and of death. Jesus's silence comes to an end on the cross with his final cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is the cry of despair, of doubt, of pain, and a moment perhaps when all seems lost, when the reign of God seems farther away than, than ever before, when the message of love proclaimed and lived by Jesus seems to be completely refuted by the power of Rome. But but in that moment, we see the power of God. We see God suffering with us in all of our struggles, suffering and pain. We, we see God with us in the struggle for justice and peace. We see God breaking open the gates of hell, conquering evil. Many of us struggle. We're, we're disheartened by the world in which we live. We're horrified by the fate of refugees and immigrants, fearful of for the future of, of human life even on our planet, crushed by the weight of, of the injustice that we see. Our hearts break for victims of oppression and of violence. And the cross offers no escape from any of this. The cross is a symbol of the reality of our world, the depths of human evil and depravity. But in its horror, in the horrors of our world, the cross also symbolizes the presence of God in all of those places, suffering with us, suffering with victims of violence, of oppression. The cross is a symbol that even when things seem darkest, when it seems that evil has triumphed, the story is not over. God hears the cries of the suffering and the oppressed. Sometimes we cry with them. Sometimes we cry on their behalf. Sometimes God cries with those who are suffering and in pain. Because you see, the cross is a symbol of hope, of our hope that ultimately God will prevail. Because you see, God does prevail. And so for the rest of today, I want to do something a little bit different. I'm I'm, I'm going to simply read to you the passion of Christ, the gospel uh, record in Matthew 26 and 27. And I'm going to read it in the message uh, translation. And the reason for that is, is I, want, I want us to hear it a little fresh and anew. I think sometimes we become familiar with Scripture that we often hear or that we often read. And so I want us to, to try to hear this from a different, a different uh, frame, a different word, a different ear, if you will. Completely Scripture. This is not any of my words or anyone else's. Just simply lifting up the Word of God. 
beginning in Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. That is when one of the twelve, the one named Judas Iscariot, went to the cabal of high priests, and he said, What you give me if I hand him over to you? And they settled on thirty pieces of silver, and he began looking for just the right moment to hand him over. On the first day of the days of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Where do you want us to prepare your Passover meal? And he said, Enter the city. Go up to a certain man and say, the teacher says, my time is near, and I and my disciples plan to celebrate the Passover meal at your house. The disciples followed Jesus' instructions to the letter and prepared the Passover meal. And after sunset, he and the twelve were sitting around the table. And during the meal, he said, I have something hard but important to say to you. One of you is going to hand me over to the conspirators. They were stunned. And they began to ask one after another, is it? It isn't me, is it, Master? And Jesus answered, The one who hands me over is someone I eat with daily, one who passes me food at the table. In one sense, the Son of Man is entering into a way of of treachery well marked by the Scriptures. No surprises here. And and, and then in another sense, that, that man who turns him in turns traitor to the Son of Man. Better never to have been born than to do this. Then Judas, already turned traitor, said, It isn't me, is it, Rabbi? And Jesus said, don't play games with me, Judas. During the meal, Jesus took and blessed the bread, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. Take, eat, this this is my body. And taking the cup and thanking God, he gave it to them. Drink this, all of you, this is my blood. God's new covenant poured out for many people for the forgiveness of sins. I'll not be drinking wine from this cup again until that new day when I'll drink with you in the kingdom of my Father. They sang a hymn and went directly to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, before the night's over, you're, you're going to fall to pieces because of what happens to me. There, there is a scripture that says, I'll strike the shepherd dazed and confused. The sheep will, will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I, your shepherd, will go ahead of you, leading the way to Galilee. Peter broke in, even if everyone falls to pieces on account of you, I won't. Don't be so sure. Jesus said, this this very night before the rooster crows up the dawn, you will deny me three times. Peter protested, even if I had to die with you, I would, I would never deny you. All the others said the same thing. And then Jesus went with them to the garden called Gethsemane and told his disciples, stay here while I go over there and pray. And taking along Peter and two and the two sons of Zebedee, he, he plunged into an agonizing sorrow. Then, then he said, This sorrow is crushing my life out. Stay here and keep vigil with me. And going a little ahead, he he fell on his face praying, My father, if there's any way, get me out of this. But please, not what I want. You, what do you want? And when he came back to his disciples, he found them sound asleep. And he said to Peter, Can't you stick it out with me a single hour? Stay alert. Be, Be in prayer so you don't wander into temptation without even knowing you're in danger. There, There's... There's a part of you that is eager, ready for anything in God, but there's this other part that's as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. He, let, he then left them a second time, and again he prayed, My father, if there's, if there's no other way than this, drinking this cup to the dregs, I'm, I'm ready. Do it your way. When he came back, he again found them sound asleep. They simply couldn't keep their eyes open, and this time he let them sleep on and, and went back a third time to pray, going over the same ground one last time. And when he came back the next time, he said, are you going to sleep on and make a night of it? 
My time is up. The Son of Man is about to be handed over to the hands of sinners. So get up. Let's, let's get going. My betrayer is here. The words were barely out of his mouth when Judas, the one from the twelve, showed up and with, a, with, and with him a gang from the high priest and religious leaders, brandishing swords and clubs. And the betrayer had worked out a sign with them. The one I kiss, that's the one, sees him. He went straight to Jesus and greeted him. How are you, Rabbi? And kissed him. And Jesus said, friend, why this charade? Then, came, then they came on him and, and grabbed him and roughed him up. And one of those with Jesus pulled his sword and taking a swing at the chief priest's servant, cut off his ear. And Jesus said, put your sword back where it belongs. All, the, all who use swords are destroyed by swords. Don't you realize that I'm able right now to call to Father the, the, in 12 companies more if, if I want them of, of fighting angels would be here, battle ready. But, but if I did that, how would the scripture come true that, that say this is the way it has, to, it has to be? And then Jesus addressed the mob. What, what is this coming out after me with swords and clubs as if I were a dangerous criminal? Day after day, I've been sitting in the temple teaching and you never so much as lifted a hand against me. You've done, in, you've done it this way to confirm and fulfill the prophetic writings. Then all the disciples, well, they, they cut and ran. The gang had, that had seized Jesus led him before Caiaphas, the chief priest, where the religion scholars and leaders had assembled. And, and Peter followed at a safe distance until they got to the chief priest's courtyard and then he slipped in and mingled with the servants, watching to see how things would turn out. The high priest, conspiring with the Jewish council, took up, tried to cook up charges against Jesus in order to sentence him to death. But even though many stepped in, making up one false accusation after another, nothing was believable. And finally, two men came forward with this. He said, he said I can tear down this temple of God and after three days rebuild it. And the chief priest stood up and said, what do you have to say to the accusation? Jesus kept silent. Then the chief priest said, I command you by the authority of the living God to say if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus was curt. You yourself said it. And that's not all. Soon you'll see it for yourself. The Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Mighty One, arriving on the clouds of heaven. At that, the chief priest just simply lost his temper, ripping his robes and yelling. He, he blasphemed. Why do we need witnesses to accuse him? You all heard him blaspheme. Are you going to stand for such blasphemy? And they all said, death. That's, that seals his death sentence. Then they were spitting in his face and knocking him around. They, they jeered as they slapped him. Prophesy, Messiah. Who, who hit you that time? All this time, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and one servant girl came up to him and said, You were with Jesus, the Galilean. In front of everybody there, he denied it. I, I don't know what you're talking about. As he moved over toward the gate, someone else said to the people there, This man was with Jesus, the Nazarene, and again, he denied it, salting his denial with an oath. I swear I never laid eyes on the man. Shortly after that, some bystanders approached Peter, you, you've got to be the one of them. Your, your accent gives you away. Then he got really nervous and he swore, I don't know the man. And just as just then a, a rooster crowed and Peter remembered what Jesus had said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and cried and cried and cried. 
in the first light of dawn, all the high priests and the religious leaders met and, and put the finishing touches on their plot to kill Jesus. Then they tied him up and paraded him to Pilate, the governor. And Judas, the one who betrayed him, realized that Jesus was doomed and overcome with remorse. He gave back the 30 silver coins to the high priest saying, I've sinned, I've betrayed an innocent man. And they said, what do we care? That's your problem. So Judas, Judas threw the silver coins into the temple and left, and then he went out and hung himself. And the high priest picked up the silver pieces, but then didn't know what to do with them. It, it wouldn't be right to give this a, a payment for murder as an offering in the temple. And so they decided to get rid of it by buying the potter's field and use it as a burial place for the homeless. And that's how the field got called Murder Meadow, a name that has stuck to this day. Then Jeremiah's words became history. They took the 30 silver pieces, the price of the one priced by some sons of Israel, and they purchased the potter's field. And so unwittingly followed the divine instruction to the letter. Jesus was placed before the governor who questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, If you say so. But when the accusations rained down hot and heavy from the high priests and religious leaders, he said nothing. And Pilate asked him, do you hear that long list of accusations? Aren't you going to say something? And Jesus kept silence, not, not a word from his mouth. The governor was impressed. I mean, really impressed. And it was an old custom during the feast for the governor to pardon a single prisoner named by the crowd. And at that time, they had a, an infamous Jesus Barabbas in prison. And, and with the crowd before him, Pilate said, which prisoner do you want me to pardon, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus the so-called Christ? He knew it was through sheer spite that they had turned Jesus over to him. And while court was still in session, Pilate's wife sent him a message. Don't get mixed up in judging this noble man. I've just been through a long and troubled night because of a dream about him. And meanwhile, the the high priests and religious leaders had talked the crowd into asking for the pardon of Barabbas and the execution of Jesus. And the governor asked, which of the two do you want me to pardon? And they said, Barabbas. Then what do I do with Jesus, the so-called Christ? And they all shouted, nail him to a cross. He objected, but for what crime? But, but they yelled all the louder, nail him to a cross. And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere and that a riot was imminent. He took a basin of water and washed his hands in full sight of the crowd saying, I am, I'm washing my hands of responsibility for this man's death. From now on, it's in your hands. You're, you're judge and jury. And the crowd answered, well, we'll take the blame. We and our children after us. So, so then he pardoned Barabbas, but he had Jesus whipped and then handed over for crucifixion. The soldiers assigned to the governor took Jesus into the governor's palace and got the entire brigade together for some fun. They stripped him and dressed him in a, in a red robe and they, they painted a crown from branches of a thorn brush and, and set it on his head. They, they, they put a stick in his right hand for a scepter and then they knelt before him in, in mocking reverence. Bravo, king of the Jews, they said, bravo. Then they spit on him and hit him on the head with a stick and when they had had their fun, they took off the robe and put his own clothes back on him, and then they proceeded out to the crucifixion. Along the, the way, they came on a man from Cyrene named Simon and made him carry Jesus' cross, arriving at Golgotha, the place they call Skull Hill 
they offered him a, a mild painkiller. It's a mixture of wine and, and myrrh. But when he tasted it, he, he wouldn't drink it. And after they had finished nailing him to the cross and were waiting for him to die, they killed time by throwing dice for his clothes. Above his head, they posted the criminal charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Along with him, they also crucified two criminals, one to his right, the other to his left. People passing along the road jeered, shaking their heads in mock lament. You brag that you could tear down the temple and then rebuild it in three days. So, so show us your stuff. Save yourself. If you're really God's son, come on down from that cross. The high priest, along with the religion scholars and leaders, were right there mixing it up with the rest of them, having a great time poking fun at him. He saved others. He can't save himself. King of Israel, is he? Then let him get down from the cross. We'll all become believers then. He was so sure of God. Well, let him rescue his son now if he wants him. He did claim to be God's son, didn't he? Even the two criminals crucified next to him joined in the mockery. And from noon to three, the whole earth was dark. And around mid-afternoon, Jesus groaned out of the depths, crying loudly, Eli, Eli, lama sabakatini, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some bystanders who heard him said, he's calling for Elijah. One of them ran and got a sponge soaked in sour wine and lifted it on a stick so he could drink. And the others joked, don't be in such a hurry. Let's see if Elijah comes and saves him. But Jesus, crying aloud, loudly breathed his last. And at that moment, the temple curtain was ripped in two, top to bottom. There was an earthquake and rocks were split in pieces. And what's more, tombs were opened up and many bodies of believers asleep in their graves were raised. And after Jesus's resurrection, they left the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many. The captain of the guard and those with him, when they saw the earthquake and everything else that was happening, they were scared to death. And they said, this has to be the son of God. There are also quite a few women watching from a distance, women who had followed Jesus from Galilee in order to serve him. And among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the Zebedee brothers. And late in the afternoon, a wealthy man from Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, arrived. His name was Joseph. And he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate granted his request, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linens and put it in his own tomb, a new tomb, only recently cut into the rock and rolled a large stone across the entrance. Then he went off, but Mary Magdalene and the other Mary stayed sitting in plain view of the tomb. After sundown, the high priests and the Pharisees arranged a meeting with Pilate. They said, sir, we just remembered that that liar announced while he was still alive, after three days I will be raised. So we've got to get that tomb sealed until the third day. There's a good chance his disciples will come and steal the corpse and then go around saying he's risen from the dead. And then, you know, we'll be worse off than before. The final deceit surpassing the first. Pilate told them, you will have a guard. Go ahead and secure it the best you can. So they went out and secured the tomb, sealing the stone and posting guards. As we know, it's not where the story ends, but we leave it there for today. Amen, and God bless.